Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Whatever part of the world you're tuned in from, this is Funny Like a Clown Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Worth, March 9th, 2021, episode 101. We get over the big 100 mark, and I look forward to another 100 as always, today's episode is brought to you by G-Vegas Buffalo Sauce. For the spicy, sweet, savory taste of game time, there's only one G-Vegas available at www.gvegas.webs.com. Go green, go natural, get it shipped right to your door. The pandemic, you don't want to go out in this uh, era, so get your food shipped to your door. Watch the game. If you're a Boston guy, you watch the game. And on the phone, I have a Boston guy. He's a comedian who started out in Boston. Uh... Worked his way up all the way. Now he's a headliner, headliner of most of the local clubs in New England. Mark Riley, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dennis. It's awesome to be here, man. I've been looking forward to doing this. Well, I appreciate you making the call in, so we got to start somewhere. Let's start at the beginning. How'd you get started out in the comedy world? Well, I, I didn't, I'll tell you what, I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be a comedian. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was a pretty quiet kid. And as a matter of fact, my high school and college friends, when they found out, I was doing this for a living. They were like, what? Couldn't believe You're a it. comedian. <laughs> so, um, but I, I got into it by a buddy of mine. I referee when I was refereeing um, pro hockey. A buddy of mine who I was traveling with just kept hounding me because he thought I was that funny. And I kept saying, I'm funny with you guys, but not on stage. Right. So he took me to a club one night after a game we did in Richmond, Virginia. And... Um, between watching the comedians and interacting a little bit, uh, which I look back on now and realize I was a real jerk that night okay. <laughs> um, to the comedians, but it made me realize I was funnier than them and they were making a living at it. So I came home and the following Wednesday, that was a Saturday night, that Wednesday night I went on stage at Nick's. So you and, did pretty uh, good your first night then? You, you, you had some amount of success, yeah? Yeah, first, at first night it was funny. I went to Nick's and it was like... Um, there was really no one there. It was like a, a holiday party. It was right before Christmas. And I kind of was like, geez, this kind of stinks, you know? And I went back the following week, and the place was packed. Um, and Kevin Knox was the host, who was, you know, still is one of my favorite people. God um, rest his soul. You know, Comedy legend in Boston. Yeah. And so uh, and he brought me up, and, and I was hooked. Uh, it was, you know, it went great, and from there, uh, three months later, I got my first paying gig from uh, Mike Clark, and went from there. That was, so was it all smooth sailing, or did you have any rough nights along the way? Oh, I bombed plenty of times. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of comics don't get that. They think, you know, they're going to start out and funny at home. They don't realize there's a hump you got to get over, right? Oh, yeah, and, and I did, what I did in the beginning, you know, I got in with... Um, uh, his name was Jay Conley, who was the manager at Knicks. And I got in with uh, Dick Doherty over at the vault. And I, every time I'd go, I'd go up as much as I could. And every time I'd try new stuff. I, I, I kind of was older when I found this. And 
and had a lot of life experience and a lot of stories and that I thought were funny. And so I came into it with more material than, you know, most new people, but I still had to try it out. And there were nights where I'd try out all new stuff and, you know, maybe two minutes out of a 10 minute set would be good. <laughs> well, they the say the real like, stuff life is more <laughs> funny than anything you can make up, right? That's like the real life stuff's funnier than anything you can make up in a joke, ain't it? Oh, that, well, everyone asks me, how do you write jokes? And I'm like, I don't write jokes. I just pay attention. <laughs> and when stuff happens and I think it's funny, I tell the story and, you know, sometimes it works right away. Sometimes you got to tweak it or cut something out or add right. something. Um, but, yeah, I, I find that real life is much more funny than anything I can write with a punchline. Right. All right, so Mike Clark gave you your first paid gig, and you were going from there. I mean, where would you, what would you consider was your big break, where you thought, you know, this kind of turned the corner for me, where I went from small time to the big time? Um, I, I think there was a couple of kind of milestones, I think. So that first paying gig was up in Maine, and it was with Paul Nardizzi and Gary Goldman. Um, and Gary and I drove up to Maine together, and at the time, it was right before he kind of uh, exploded and did Montreal and, and the whole thing. So, um, and, and so that was really cool to, you know, everyone was telling me, oh, you'll have to work free for two, three years, you know, oh, yeah. and I guess I got lucky um, and, and, you know, got that paying gig right away. And Mike started using me, you know, pretty regularly. And I think the first time he headlined me um, was kind of like one of those moments where you're like, all right, cool. Uh, and. But there was there was a couple times along the way where you'd be doing a, a benefit. I remember doing a benefit for Kevin Knox at Giggles one night, and Bill Burr came up from oh, wow. New York. And of course, I'm I'm supposed to go next, and Mike says Bill's going to go on, and then you. Thanks. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> got no problem following that, right? <laughs> you know, but it, it happened before with Steve Sweeney. You know, Steve would walk in and be like, "I'm going on next," and right. you're like, "Okay." Now I gotta follow Sweeney, and I always approached it that you either, you know, you either rode the wave and swam, or you went up defeated and sunk. Yeah. And I always went up and just said, you know what? Uh, I always thought Mike wouldn't put me in this position if he didn't think I could handle it. Yeah, it had to push and, you to do better, right? I mean, something like that. Yeah. You know, you gotta bring your A game. So you know, I was able to. Uh, I actually went up and you know. Uh, and just rode the wave Bill Burr created. And, um, you know, I'm a high-energy guy anyway, so, it, you know, it's easy to, when someone brings a room up, to jump on and just keep riding it. Right. And uh, and it was awesome. So, you know, those kind of nights were like, you know, all right, I, I belong. I mean, I think the weekend that really did it for me was, uh, it, I, I had been doing comedy a couple of years, and... My daughter, I had a weekend at Nick's Comedy Stop, and John Panette was the headliner, and Kevin Knox was uh, the other comedian. And John Panette had, was doing Boston and then going up to Kowloon. Mm -hmm. So he has to go first. So Kevin uh, Knox, he hosts, and goes up and crushes for 20 minutes and brings Panette up. He goes up and crushes for 40 minutes. Kev goes back up and crushes for another 10. And then brings me up. The audience is tired, and here's Mark, right? <laughs> exactly. It was like, here's the last guy who you don't know, right. and who's done pretty much nothing. Well, it's part of and, paying your dues, I guess, right? 
Well, that Friday night, man, I went up in flames. Uh, I, uh, it was, you know, one of the worst nights on mm. stage for me. And I, I was pretty bummed going home that night. And the next day, my third child, my daughter was born that afternoon, Saturday afternoon. Mm. And I left the hospital, went home and showered and went into Nick's. And with a whole new attitude. <laughs> I pumped you right up, I guess, huh? My kid, my, you know, I had uh, another daughter. She was healthy. Um, Mom was healthy. Uh, and, you know, I was flying on a cloud. So I, I went in and I said to Nazi, um, I don't care what happens tonight. I got a, I got another beautiful kid. You're the and, happiest uh, guy in the world already, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and I said to him, I'm opening with 10 new minutes of, of childbirth material. How did it go? And in Nazi's, you know, perfect fashion, he's like, yeah, yeah, you do that, yeah. <laughs> and so, so the same thing, Nazi crushes Panette. You know, he didn't crush as, as good Saturday night as he did Friday night, but he John Panette, you know? Yeah, yeah, how do you and follow then, John, yeah. Yeah, and Nazi goes up, and, and I went up, and I, I, without a care in the world, and I, I blew it apart. Yeah, just and, be you. That's half the trick of comedy, yeah. Yeah. It was, it, it, and I went home that night going, all right, yeah, I should be doing this. Right, right. You know, um, and it also taught me a lesson on what what kind of attitude you have to bring to the stage. You know, you, and, and it's like anything, the attitude you bring towards life. It's yeah, If you go up thinking you're not going to do well, well... Sometimes you try too well. hard. When you finally say the hell with it, I don't care what happens, that's when you start loosening up and getting laughs, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, so... It, you go up, um, you know, basically, like, my approach now is I'm I'm going up to have fun and connect with people and bring them on a journey, which is, you know, giving them a glimpse into my world. And if they want to come along, that's awesome. Yeah. If they don't, well, then, you know, um, it, it's nobody's fault. I have to look at what I'm doing, and, and maybe it's the material I'm doing. Maybe it's that they don't. You know, maybe it's just that they're tired. Maybe it's that I'm not on my game and i got to step it up. Yeah, every it, show's you different. Know, you know, if every show was the same, every crowd was the same, wouldn't be no fun. That's half the fun. Every crowd's different, right? Absolutely. And mm -hmm. and I love interacting with the crowd. And so, crowd work, I, yeah. you know, I go up with something in mind. Yeah. And But sometimes it takes a right turn on me. And I end up doing a bunch of crowd work instead of material or a mix of both. And... Um, but I like that because people, you know, come see you again. They're not seeing the exact same show. Exact same show, right. Uh, you know, and you know, like us comedians, we, we're like, you know, uh, if someone comes to see us a second time, I, I know a lot of us are like, oh my God, I, I got to do all new material. Yeah, gonna, I've already heard you know, it. It's tough. They're not going to laugh, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is completely not true. <laughs> Well, you've conquered it. I mean, you're playing your headline in most of the major rooms in New England, but, I mean, uh, you know, you get in what Mike Clark, you said. He's one of the major bookers, but, I mean, there's times if you work this room, you can't work that one. If you work for this guy, you can't work that guy. Comedy's a really competitive business. Why, why do you think it's so competitive? Um, I think it's just, you know, like any other any other business. Uh, you know, everyone, everyone wants to be on top. Um, the cool thing about Boston is, it, it, and, and I've been told this, not only experiencing it, but, you know, from people outside of, of Boston or, or, you know, going to New York and, and talking with comics from there or L.A., it, it, it's kind of like a, a more 
community here. So, you know, like when, when Jimmy Dunn got the McCarthy's, you know, there was, uh, you know, I couldn't find too many people that weren't thrilled for him and happy for him right. and loved the fact that he, you know, he had made it. And One of us made off. it out. There we go. We're happy for you, right? Yeah. And so I think, um, I think that's, you know, it is competitive and we all want to be the top dog, but at the same time, there's a lot of guys and, and girls, you know, in, in this area in Boston that are just good people. Yeah. And you just want them to do well. Um, You've got a couple you know, knuckleheads out there, though. I mean, <laughs> they've ruined it for everybody, but I mean, for the most part, it's good. But For the most part, yeah. Well, there, there's, in every crowd, there's, you know, yeah. there's a few that, uh, you know, if, uh, if you met them under different circumstances, you might, you know, sucker punch them. But, um, <laughs> you know, right. it's, for the most part, everyone, you know, most everyone has kind of um, got the right attitude. Got respect for At everybody. the same time, with that said, you know, I, I want to close every show. Right. Am I going to? No. Um, and for various reasons. Uh, but, you know, obviously I want to be the funniest on every show. Um, that's just, you know, because that's the way you build a fan base. That's the way you get more work. That's the way you make more money. It's, a, you know. It's a competitive it, nature, it's right? It's like any other business. All right. So, I know you're able to work clean or you're able to work dirty. I mean, you can do a family show or an R-rated show and... You said you draw the line on an X-rated show, you won't go there, but when you get booked, do you ask before you go on, do you want me to work clean or dirty, or how do you make that decision? I, I yeah, I usually try to find out, you know, um, you know, you ask, like, what what kind of material is off limits? Like, what, what, uh, it, I made the mistake a long time ago not asking, and, you know, found out the hard way that you got to know who's kind of in the audience, so... If you're doing a benefit for someone and uh, a certain something happens, say someone, you know, uh, got arrested for drunk driving, you don't want to do a drunk driving joke, you know, um, or worse, you know, whatever. So I always ask, hey, is anything off limits? Mm -hmm. And that way I know ahead of time, you know, if they say, hey, no jokes about, you know, drugs. Okay, you know, no, no jokes about this. Or, you know, um, like, you know, so-and-so, this happened to them, so don't talk about that. That way, you know, the last thing, I want everyone to have fun, I want everyone to laugh, I want everyone to feel good. The last thing I want to do is say something to upset someone. Right, but I mean, if they, they say the, if you work clean, you always work, and, you know, I mean, we grew up, the Eddie Murphys are big, the Sam Kennisons, the Andrew Dice Clays, I mean, you have a lot of fun doing that, but it's not always the big payday, but have you ever been doing clean material and been, like, eating it and say, hey, i got to do something different here and... Do, you know, try some dirty material, you know, to try and change the pace, or? Uh, I'd be lying if I said no. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I remember one um, high school show I did, a gra you know, a graduation kind of show. Right. Um, we were told, you know, no swearing. Yep. And, you know, one of the kids that, you know, he thought he was the funniest kid in the school, and he wanted to challenge the comedian. Of course. And uh, finally I was just like, you know, I, I don't know if I can swear on this. Um, yeah, yeah, fine. You know, I was like, fuck this. And, and, I, I, and I just, you know, I ripped him up and down and, and made him wave, wave the white flag. Right. And, you know, I even turned to the principal. I'm like, I know I wasn't supposed to swear, but what am I supposed to do? And he, and he even said, oh, let it, let it rip. <laughs> so, he probably had um, enough of the kid, too, not just you, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He, he wanted me to do it. Right. So, but, you know, you, you, you kind of, there's certain places, you know, you, 
like if, you, if I looked out and see, you know, an older crowd, well, you know, I'll, right. I'm not going to change who I am, but I will change, you know, some language or, you know, the last thing you want to do is, is pigeonhole yourself. Well, that's called and reading the crowd. I learned that coming up, right? I watched all the, all the headliners. I watched them. The second they get there, they'd walk around the room and I could see scoping out the crowd like they wanted to see their audience who they're playing to. Oh, always. That, I, I do that in every show, especially if it's like one of those shows in an Elks Hall or, you know, um, at, at a, in a gymnasium or some type of hall. I always try to pick out stuff that is unusual yeah. or kind of funny to me, and I'll point it out uh, on stage because the people that, you know, they're comfortable, they know the building, so they might not have ever realized that, you know, like a trough in the men's room is kind of ridiculous. Right. And so you point that out, and, and it ingratiates you with them. Um, and you do it in a way that you're not, you know, yeah. um, you, you, some people are going to get upset with what you say. It's just the nature of the times right now. But you can't, I don't think you can worry about that in the sense that, yeah, you don't want to say anything that's over the line, um, you know, but at the same time, our job is to be funny. It's getting harder, though, ain't it? We're in a day and age where everybody's uh, offended by everything. You can't barely say anything anymore, can you? It, it, it's tough, and it's tough because you could have an audience of 200 people, and one person gets offended, and now everyone's expected to change. Right. And it's just like that in society. If one person complains about whatever it is, a Christmas tree in the lobby, all of a sudden we can't have a Christmas tree when... You know, the thousands of other people that look at it every day from every it, race, yeah. religion, and color don't have a problem with it. And I actually had a woman a couple of years ago say to me, it was a, a benefit, I was doing a soccer benefit, and I was hosting it. I, I had put on the show, and and uh, a woman got offended by what one of the comedians said. And, um, and after the show, she came up, and she was, you know, uh, complaining about it. And I said, listen, our job is to make everyone laugh. And she said, no, your job is to make sure no one's offended. And I said, you're the problem with the world today. <laughs> wow, she said <laughs> that she to you, like, damn. What do you mean by that? And I said, we're comedians. Our job is, it, it, that's like saying, you know, I go in as a plumber and my job is to fix the pipes and you expect me to fix the light socket too. No, yeah, yeah. we have a job. And if you don't <laughs> like it, then you don't have to go. That's on you, and, man. And, That's on them, yeah. not you, right? Yeah. And 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 I say, if you go to a comedy show and you get it, and knowing you're going to get offended, knowing you're sensitive, right. you know, and you go there and you're surprised that you're offended. That's like going to a horror movie and getting pissed off that it scared you. Right, right, right. Yeah. There's no logic there. Yeah, why are you here to begin so, with? You know, so you, you, it, it is getting tougher. Um, and, you know, obviously we evolve as a, as a society and certain things aren't acceptable that were acceptable 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Sure, um, sure. You know, words and whatnot. But, and I get that, you know, and I get that yeah. you have to kind of, we want to work. And if we want to work and make money, then we got to kind of cater a little bit to the audience. Yeah. But at the same time, we can't be so cautious that we're not funny anymore. Right. I seen what they just Pepe Le Pew. They're pulling him from Warner Brothers because they say he's promoting rape. I saw Mr. Potato Head is going to be gender neutral. Potato Head. The Muppets are on HBO. They're deemed as offensive material before you can watch it. I mean, where does it stop? I mean, what? Wh wh 
out of control. I honestly think that, you know, when you really think about it, like I brought this up the other day talking to someone. Remember the the Teletubbies when the big thing was the purple one was gay. Right, right. And there was some senator or something that wanted to ban him or something. And I'm sitting there going, he's upset about something that's not even real. Not even an issue, right? (laughs) These characters aren't even real. They're not even real people. And and you think a kid at three years old is going to sit there and question this purple teletype? No, yeah. it's entertaining to them. Just like Mr. Potato Head. You know, it, it's a toy. It's not even real. It's just a toy. And, you know, I know back in the day, I, I used to put the lipstick on Mr. Potato Head for Mrs. Potato Head. What's the big deal? Yeah, it's entertainable for us. You're in a no-win situation, babe. No matter what you do, somebody's going to be offended. It's a no-win situation, basically. It, it, nowadays it is. Nowadays it is. And... You know, you look at Pepe Le Pew, uh, you know, and I think uh, I'm not the only comedian. I I don't know, a few years back, I did a whole thing on it. Um, it, be, it and, and I'm not the only comedian to do a joke about Pepe Le Pew. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he's chasing a cat. And he's just this, you know, like the idea of the joke isn't what people are taking it as now. Yeah. You know, um, like the whole Dr. Seuss thing, both sides lost their mind. The people that wanted <laughs> to cancel him. And the people that thought he shouldn't be canceled. And when, if both sides looked at really what the facts were, there were six books they wanted to get rid of. And all six books did have, you know, cartoons in them that, you, they, you know, they, they were okay at the time, but now we've evolved and right. we don't need them anymore. So it, it's like they're not trying to cancel all of Dr. Seuss. And the guy at one point said, you know what? I'm looking back. Some of these things I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have put in these books. Right. You know, he evolved too. But most of his books are a problem. We're good, right? And yeah. no one's trying to take them off the shelves. It was just these six books. But you know, it, it, everyone loses their mind. Yeah, I, I grew it, up watching it, Elmer Fudd, and I never shot anybody, so I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, I, I I remember Tom and Jerry and and the Three Stooges, and yeah. you know, I don't know. I. I it's a different different world we different live in. Right? So, what would you consider? What, what's your home base in comedy? You got a home base somewhere? Or? Um, I, I I guess I play giggles more than anywhere. Okay, so um, you got your home base. You know, so that's you know, but I try to. I tr- I mean, pre-COVID, obviously, um, you know, I I try to work for everyone and anyone. Okay, now, um, have you ever done the road? I know you're around in New England a lot. Have you ever been on the road or no? I, I haven't been on the road in the sense of going out for two, three weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I owned a business for a while. Uh, my kids were young. Um, and I also, you know, I still teach during the day. I'm, I'm a, a fourth or fifth grade teacher. Um, and so it never really made sense for me to go out on the road because wasn't, it wasn't like I was going to make more money on the road. Um, mm-hmm. I might do more shows, but... You know, I could. I, I worked plenty in, in and around New England. Now, I went to Vegas three times. I, you know, um, I went down and 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 uh, to South Carolina to Charleston one time. Went out. Uh, you know. So you get out every now and then. Around. Right. Yeah, but I, I I'm, I'm, I've never gone out on the road. Quote. Um, just because it, it ne- I was. See, I spent about five years on the road when I was refereeing hockey. Right. And it gets old, you know, um, especially if you have a family and, and, sure, you, know, tough to get a family. and you need and you need health insurance. 
<laughs> yeah. Now you mentioned being a teacher. Now that interests me because I got a friend who's a comedian and a teacher, and he put some stuff on YouTube, and some of the kids found it, and he had to hurry up and delete it because I mean, being a teacher, you're expected to set an example for these kids. Have you ever had a problem with anybody finding your material being a teacher or offensive or? Well, I, it's funny you say that. I, I have some stuff out there uh, on YouTube, but I make sure that the stuff I put out there is not anything that I wouldn't want my students seeing. Okay, so um, you're careful about you what know, you do put out, right? I'm careful. And, and even even any social media stuff I put out, um, you know, I try to... Because, uh, you know, fifth graders, they Google you. Oh, you sure, know, yeah, you got to set an example. You have a website, and there's pictures of you on Google. And, you could be know. fired for stuff deemed offensive, right? Because, I mean, you're supposed to be setting an example with the kids, right? Yeah, and, and you know, uh, I don't, I don't, like, I really like to think, and, and, you know, that none of my material is, you know, mean or that offensive. Bad, right, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, it's not that I want them seeing, you know, some of the bits well, of even just saying a curse word could get you, you know, I mean, somebody. Yeah, and I, 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 almost all the stuff out, out there, I don't, I have clean material out there because if someone sees it and wants to hire me, I'd rather them see me work clean right. and tell me I can work dirty than see a dirty tape and go, oh, this guy can't yeah, work clean. Yeah, we don't want him. Um, right, yeah. yeah, so it, 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 I'm not, a, I'm not upset about it because it's like, I'd rather have the clean stuff out there, but okay. it, it's funny. One time, a, a student did come in um, and was actually my daughter's classmate um, when they were in fifth grade, and I was her teacher. I was my daughter's teacher, and one of her good friends came in one day, and I do a, I have a video out there about not only learning four sentences in Spanish uh, after six years, you know, and uh, and one of them is mi burro está en mi pantalones. And uh, so my donkey is in my pants. Okay. And it's ridiculous. Right. But one of the, girl, the girl came in and said, Mr. Riley, I, I watched some stuff on, online last night. I'm just wondering, is your donkey still in your pants? <laughs> he got you. All right. He got you. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, thank God I know your parents really well. Yeah, that's the world we live in right there. Anybody can Google anything about you they want, right? Yeah. All right, so coming yeah. up, uh, who were your favorite comedians? I mean, who did you enjoy watching before you did comedy? Anybody inspire you, some of the mainstream comics? Yeah, I mean, I, I loved, I always loved uh, Robin Williams. Genius, um, yeah. his, ability, his ability to improv was in, insane. Um, I always, I, I loved Buddy Hackett. Uh, you know, no, no better storyteller than him. Right. Uh, Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, um, you know, they, they were... You know, I could watch their specials a thousand times. Right, okay. um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 my, my favorite, my all-time favorite comedian is Don Gavin. Um, the Godfather. He, yeah, he to me is the funniest person alive. And I could watch him a hundred times and I'd, I'd be falling off my chair a hundred times. He was a school teacher, uh, too. Yeah, it must be something amazing. in school teachers. Uh, comedy runs in school teachers' veins or something. I don't know. Well, I think, you know, honestly, I don't think they're all that different in the sense that you have to keep a group of people's attention yeah. and you have to entertain them. And, you know, in the student's case, the entertaining leads to education. And in a lot of ways, kind of a lot of what we do, um, you know, maybe someone will learn something 
maybe even if it's not taking themselves too seriously. Right. Um, you know, so they, they're both similar in, in ways that, that unless you really think about it, you don't realize. Laughter is the best medicine. It's therapy, so yeah, sure. So no uh, you mentioned Kevin Knox. I mean, is there, is there somebody who really mentored you doing comedy that kind of took you under your wing as a young comic and showed you the way through the comedy business? Um, Don Gavin, Don, okay. uh, for sure. Um, he uh, helped me out immensely. Um, Kevin Knox was someone that, uh, you know, definitely was was there in the very beginning. Um, you know, and there were other guys along the way, Tony V, Jimmy Dunn, um, you know, uh, were always ready to help. Um, you know, they, they, I mean, there was there was so many good ones in Boston that yeah, a lot of good comics in Boston. Yeah, but I mean, if yeah. you work hard, they recognize you work hard there because they remember what it's like them coming up. You know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone started at some point, and uh, you know, I think the good ones, especially the ones around here, remember when they first started and they don't you know they they don't they don't think they you know woke up on third and hit a triple they realize how much they had to work to hit that triple and mm. you know so they see younger comics and they try to give back a little bit I well, it's almost thing. a responsibility isn't it? i mean somebody had to give back to you now that you're a headliner it's kind of a responsibility for you to give back i mean any young comics you see out there you want to give a shout out to the like direct um well i, I mean he's not so young, but Will Noonan is one of my favorites. I, get, he, um, I ask this question regularly. His name has popped up more than any other Boston comic wills. Yeah, he uh, he's just a, a, a great guy, and um, I worked with him one of his first shows, and he, you know, um, the, the, the amount of growth as a comic and as a performer and entertainer that I've seen yeah. over the years has just been awesome to watch. Um, I saw the same thing happen with Greg Murphy, um, you know, another one that kind of fell into the business and was raw and, you know, now is just such a polished comic and, and um, you know, is, is just uh, an, incredible, an incredible entertainer. Um, you know, they're not young. <laughs> yeah, I talked to this a lot of talent in Boston, for sure. Yeah, right, I know. But... Well, from what I heard about you is, is you're really good with the hecklers. You can eat a hecker alive is what I've heard about you. But, I mean, you know, so, you know, some nights in comedy are better than others. Some nights you hit the drunks, you hit the hecklers. You get any crazy story? What's, like, the craziest thing ever happened to you on stage? Well, um, yeah, it is something that I, I kind of, I guess I, I, I don't want them. But when they show up, you're ready. I, I love torturing them. Right. Um, and uh, I, one night at Giggles, a guy, a guy, they, there was a group of people there celebrating a birthday. They drove up to Sardis in a bus from New Bedford. And they were, I mean, they were all banged up. And it was the woman's birthday. And I, I happened to, uh, Paul Gilligan was the headliner. And I did the first show and had to run to Braintree to do a, another show and then came back. So... Gilly hosted the second show, so I kind of closed the second show. So by the time I get up there on stage, was, these people were a mess. And I'm up on stage for two seconds, and the woman gets up, walks around the table, and starts talking like it's a wedding. So, of course, <laughs> I no, I don't ignore this. Right. And so, you know, we're back and forth, and then, you know, they, they just kept into 
erupting. And finally, like, you know, I uh, I think I, I brought up Dunkin' Donuts, and in the middle of it, she yells, I love Dunkin' Donuts. And I said, you know, I do too, ma'am. You know why? Because when I'm talking, they shut the fuck up and listen. <laughs> How did she respond to that? <laughs> did she shut up or did she go at you harder? Her husband all of a sudden is standing in front of me. Oh, boy. And he says, you're done. And I was like, I'm, excuse me? And he goes, you're done. I said, no, I don't think I am. <laughs> and he goes, no, you're done. You don't talk to my wife like that. Oh, and he geez. gets up on stage. And I'm sitting there, and, and I'm like, I keep saying, don't make me hit you. I really don't want to hit you, sir. <laughs> don't make me hit you. And he was drunk, and I, I haven't I haven't drank in over 15 and a half years, so this wasn't that long ago. And luckily, uh, you know, um, and, and I kept just saying, don't make me hit you. And the crowd is like, doesn't know what's going on. So nobody at the club was trying to put a stop to this, no? Well, you know what's funny is Mike, that weekend, Mike wasn't there. Okay. He was away. Yeah. So Gilly came out and, you know, took the guy off stage. And then the kids, the guy's son said, uh, uh, you're done. And I'm like, you got to be his son. <laughs> <laughs> and so I ripped on him and, and like half the table left. And I finished the set. And, um, and they, you know, the people that were with the party that weren't completely annihilated, came up and were apologizing and right. you know they never liked this and but it was just kind of funny because i i really thought you know in my mind i'm going if i hit this guy and he falls and hits his head and then you know like, now you got bigger problems going through my head yeah. they but had the like, beer muscles on that <laughs> everybody got the beer muscles when they want to be a part of the show yeah <laughs> yep. all yep. right but uh i guess that was probably the uh the craziest the one you remember most yeah you know, there was a guy that wouldn't stop in New Hampshire, and um, he had thrown money at the comedian before me, and just like a complete jerk. Yeah. And uh, I had a, a girl that was at a bachelorette party come up and tuck a $1 bill in my jeans. That was interesting. There you go. Um, well, everybody yeah, thinks it's all fun times. I mean, they don't realize that you got to <laughs> deal with drunk sometimes. That's part of the game, you know? <laughs> it's brutal. You know, it, and I think, you know, the, it, it, it's tough because you don't like I've snapped on stage yeah. you know and you don't want to but sometimes when people just don't get it and you're at a place where there's not like a bouncer or a you know a, a room manager it's that up to you, you know, yeah, tell right. them to leave yeah. and, or, or benefit where you don't know if the guy that's being the jerk just you know wrote a check for five grand yeah. and you're going to attack the guy that is the biggest supporter like right, right. your hands are kind of tied sometimes um and you know but other times you know i've i've just said forget it yeah enough's snap. enough right yeah after a while enough's enough it's time right i mean that's it yeah. right. so yeah, let's get off of comedy for a second here uh going way back i guess maybe before comedy you were an ice hockey referee and what you had a week in the nhl before you got fired what what happened there that you got fired after a week? <laughs> yeah, I I worked, um, I did um, East Coast League, which was, you know, minor pro hockey. Um, and I did major junior hockey for about five years. And the NHL called and hired me. And then wow. uh, one week later, Thursday to Thursday, they called me and fired me. What was the reason? Um, they, well, 
they didn't say this, um, but I'm pretty sure it's because I'm American and they had hired their quota of Americans. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, you know, it was that was back in the day when there was only one referee and two linesmen. Okay. So there was only three of us, not four of us on the ice like now. And, um, you know, they try to give me every reason in the book as to why, but there really was no good reason. Um, Other than you weren't and, Canadian. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I, I did one Bruins preseason game, and that was it. Um, I, I really hadn't, uh, you know, it's it, it was, uh, um, it, it, in, the, in hindsight, it was the best thing that happened because I never would have gone on stage. Um, I mean, I, I actually had One door closes, another opens. Before this. You had what? I had started doing comedy before. Oh, before that? Okay. And I, I don't think they liked that either. Um, you know, right. they, you know they, they made a kind of a comment about that, you know, that uh, being a comedian kind of wasn't, you know, I had original thought, and they didn't really like that. So, right. um, yeah, but, you know, it... It is what it is. It's part of the journey. And, um, you know, I'm back doing, I do college and junior and work with a bunch of young guys now and help them figure out the, you know, the game and how to do it. And, and uh, I'm having a blast with it. All right. It's, so uh, I don't know if you got a comedy routine about it, but it must have left an impression on you because it says uh, you co authored a movie script called Penalty Box. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, I, I have a bunch of material about hockey for sure. Okay. And, a buddy of mine who's a screenwriter I met at the Parks and Rec Department, um, I told him about this idea of making a, you know, writing a movie. And so over the course of a bunch of years, we got together. And, and so it's a, a story about um, a few referees. It, it, it happens in the East Coast League, which is the same league as Slapshot, the movie Slapshot. Mm-hmm. And the best way to describe it is, is it's kind of like Slapshot, but only from the referee's perspective. You know, it's... Um, you know, it, it, it gives you insight into the world of the referees. Kind of what you experienced, right? Yeah, and it's, and it, and it's hilarious. I mean, it, it, uh, it, the stories, you know, you can't make some of the stuff up. It's just so funny. So have you ever pitched it to anybody uh, or got any response on it? Or? Uh, not as much as I'd like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's tough because hockey movies are what they are. We, we've worked a lot with... Um, a guy by the name of Mike Cerrone, who is one of the writers for the Farrelly Brothers. Uh, he's helped us out quite a bit, uh, but we just haven't been able to get it in the right person's hands. Mm. Um, you know, and, and I keep, you know, hoping um, it'll, it, you know, it'll happen at some point, uh, it, you know, but I, I'm, pr- I'm proud of it because it, it, it is a solid script and those who have read it have liked it. Yeah, you keep trying so, and hope um, you catch lightning in a bottle. It's not easy to catch lightning in a bottle, but the more you try, the more chances you get, right? Yeah, I mean, it's unique, it's new, it's fresh. It's not, you know, Hollywood just redoes stuff now, and, and it'd be nice to get something fresh out there and, and new, and, and this, you know, it's a unique perspective. And, you know, hockey movies are kind of cultish in the sense that they, you know, not necessarily appeal to the general public. To everybody, right, yeah. It's kind of a cult following, you know, right, yeah. But you put the right person in the role, and who knows, you know? So, sure. Um, so that's there, and I'm in the process of... Um, I, 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 I never... I haven't published it yet, but I wrote a book called Not Every 
Um, well, what's in the book? What's the book about? Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, and I think that's half the reason why we have cancer, can, um, cancel culture now, uh, you know, because everyone's a winner. And in real life, not everyone's a winner. And, you know, we're, as a society, we're not letting kids experience failure because we're afraid it's going to hurt them in some way. But I think it hurts them more right. telling them they're great at everything. We, we, we um, grew a generation of pansies is what we ended up doing, I know. Yeah, we, well, most yeah, of us were middle uh, class. We grew up with nothing. We wanted our kids to have everything we didn't have. And by doing that, you know, we, we nurtured them too much. Yeah, yeah. It's just too, you know, I, I'm a gym teacher here at school. And um, one thing, you know, I play and I joke about it, but I play dodgeball with first graders. Uh, and, and you know what? They love it. And, yeah, they, you know, I play with the squishy ball, not the balls we played with that, you know, would break a nose. The hard rubber but, balls, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, not the rubber ones yeah, that were yeah, pumped yeah. up too hard. But, um, you know, yeah, some of them take a ball in the face, but, you know, they, it, 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 it's, you know, they're okay. It mans like, you up a little and, bit. And they, are, they learn a good lesson. It's yeah. like pay attention. Turn you into a man. <laughs> pay attention. And, yeah, so I, I, I think there's, there's some benefit into the in the stuff that we've gotten rid of, yeah. and you know it, it's it's sad and it's creating a problem for society that it, it's it's going to come to a head at some point, and you know because people don't hey, we're going to have a whole society of people that don't know how to deal with adversity yeah. and don't know how to be told no and don't know you know how to how to fail. I said, the words please and thank you have been, and, you know, they were replaced with you owe me and I'm entitled. That's the generation we live in right there, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's, so it's, you know, um, and again, you know, I do the whole thing on it on stage, and more people afterwards come up and say, oh, I couldn't agree more, and, you know, and it, so it's like, you know it's not the majority of people. It's, again, that small group, um, you know, that that think they know better and think that they're helping their kids by shielding them from any, you know, uh, diversity. No, and they're not. They're not, no. It's opposite. Well, we're old school. So, we get that. These kids nowadays, they don't get it. It's a whole new generation. We, we, we're past oh, our yeah. time, Mark. <laughs> yep. Uh, All right. Uh, yeah, it, it's a, a whole, you know, I, I, I joke about the concussions. Not Concussions are serious injury. Don't get me wrong, but oh, yeah. back in the day, you know, I, I'm sure I had a dozen of them, and I, I you know, it's like it's something, something's changed. You know, cause we used to get the bell rung, and that was it. You know, um, so I, it's just a different world. All right, so you've got a lot of television, also. I mean, I know you were on what Dirty Water TV, and well, what are some of your television appearances? Uh, yeah, well, I, I did a bunch of those. Um, I've had uh, a few commercials out there. Uh, one was with Jimmy Dunn, uh, the Olympia Sports Ads. Um, that was really fun to do. Uh, I did another one for a hardware store. Um, I was on, uh, I mean, I don't have any Letterman appearances yet. Or, or Well, how know, did the commercials come about? Was just, just people you know got you uh, on there? But I say yet, because I truly believe it'll happen at some point. But, uh... Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, you know, Steve, Ka Steve, um, Katso show, uh, yeah. that was a 
of fun. Um, you know, kind of uh, um, more local. Yeah, do the local stuff and hope it so. leads to something bigger. That's, you know, you got to start somewhere, you know. These kids yeah, today, they uh, think they start at the top. They don't realize you got to work your way up there, you know. So, I mean. Yeah, that, well, and we see that with, you know, some young comics these days think, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I, I have an hour. I can I'm a week in the business. I'm headlining. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, you know, you're, you know, my, I've always said my definition of a headliner is someone who can follow other headliners. Right. You know, if you can if you carry can the crowd, the right? These kids think yeah. if they can talk for 45 minutes, they're a headline. No, you got to carry the crowd for 45 minutes, not just talk. You know, big difference. Oh, yeah. And, and you, you should have to, you know, if you can follow someone who's a regular headliner, then you're considered a real headliner. Okay. If you're following, you know, um, if an, you know, you, you got an open micer and, and an okay opener, and then you headline, you know what? You, you're the headliner on that show, but. I wouldn't call myself a headliner. I didn't call myself a headliner or consider myself, quote, a headliner right. um, until I actually did shows where I had to follow other headliners. Follow a quality and, act. Yeah. If, you, if you follow a shitty act, then, you know, yeah, you're going to get laughs, so don't make it good. It just means the guy before you sucked, right? Exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, it, you know, <laughs> it's he, it, it, uh, and, and I mean, I was someone that I loved the challenge. Like that night following Sweeney and that night following... You know, having to go up after Bill Burr, it's like, right. holy shit. Um, you know, and and, and so, um, it wasn't, you know, for, and you know, I'll be honest with you, I'll host a show, I'll middle a show, I'll headline a show. Uh, you know what, as long as I'm on stage and, and making people laugh, yeah. that's what's important to me. I'm not, I'm not the type of guy that, you know, oh, I won't work unless I'm right. getting this much money and I'm, you know, I'm closing. That's... That doesn't fly with me. As long as um, you're doing what you love to do, right? I get you. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, obviously, you want to close every show and you want to make the most money you can make. But, yeah. Everybody wants know, the headline, but don't let that define you in the business either. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Huh. So, you know, you are what you are on the show and, and you have fun with it. And um, one thing I learned, and I learned this from Kevin Knox, uh, you know, the better you are at hosting, the more the more work you can get. Oh, sure. Because, um, you know, hosting is an art form, and not everyone's comfortable doing it. And, you know, I, I try to emulate myself after him in that he could host, he could headline, he could do it all. And I realized, you know, you become a good host, there's, you know, you're, you make yourself versatile, and you get... You know, you get put on shows that you might not have got put on because the guy knows you can host. Yeah, yeah, hey. Hosting works better and, than no work, right? <laughs> you know what? And, and and the host, like, as a host, I think I get to get to know the audience better more. Right. And I connect better more. And so, you know, and this is another thing Kevin said to me one time. He said, listen, you might be opening or that be the opener or the host, and but all two, three hundred people that came to see the headliner are also going to get to see you. Sure. So that's how you build a fan base. And so the more you connect, the more people want to come back and see you. So, um, yeah, so that was something that I always, you know, and I kind of pride myself in the fact that I can, you know, you put me anywhere in a show and oh, I'll, I'll be happy yeah, doing right. it. Okay. So back in 2016, you were a finalist in the Boston Comedy Festival. I mean, did you do a lot of festivals, or what was that experience like for you? No, that was pretty 
first couple of years of the comedy festival, I I did. Uh, the first year, um, I got knocked out right away, uh, and I'll never forget. I, I it was at Dick Doherty's and um, Club, the old vault, and I was I was on death's door with some type of flu, and you know I had no business even being on stage, let alone advancing. The next year, I did a show at Nick, I, my show my preliminary was at Nick's. And that was kind of my home club at the time. That's where I started. I, you know, I was always there. And, you know, I crushed. And I didn't move on. And I said, you know what? I'm done with contests. Because, you know, uh, they're, they're really in the eyes of the, of the judge. And if the judge doesn't like one thing, the funniest person isn't necessarily moving on. So I didn't right, do a contest right. for till 2016. I had done one in Rhode Island, and it's like, I thought I had the better set, and the guy from Rhode Island ended up winning, because he was from Rhode Island, I was from Mass, and I literally had the crowd stopping me on the way out, like, half the crowd, you got robbed, you should have won, you know, like, well, the crowd liked me anyway, I mean, they thought I should have won, but the judges, were yep. they were from Rhode Island, they were picking the Rhode Island guy, that's the way it was, you know? Yep, and that's exactly what I experienced, you know, even the two kids that moved on that night, one was a kid from Chicago. And he was like, dude, I got no business moving on if you're not. Right. He was like, you were, you know, you were head and shoulders above everyone. So I, get, I, I just didn't do them because, you know, I, I don't know. And then 2016, I don't know why, I just, uh, I, I entered the contest and, and, you know, the stars aligned and, and I had some great sets right. and was hitting my stride. And in the final, I had, a, I had a, you know, the, all the all ten comedians were awesome, um, and I had a great set. And uh, a kid out of New York, uh, Rob Ryan, I think his name was Robbie Ryan. Um, he had a great set too, and it, it basically came down to him and I. Um, two of the judges uh, said they had me first, and the other two had him first, and it came down to like, you know, uh, one point difference. The tiebreaker that close, man! Yeah, wow. You know, and um, so, but it was an awesome run, and, and I had a blast with it. And uh, the following year, I went back in it again, and um, and uh, I think I advanced to the second round and got knocked out and said, you know what, I, I, I don't need to do contests to, yeah. you know, prove to myself I'm funny. Um, and I joked, like, you know, first place in the Boston Comedy Festival got 10,000. Second place... Didn't get anything. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, well, you know, when young comics ask me about comedy contests, I saw an interview with Eddie Murphy one time. He said he took last place in every comedy contest he was ever in. And look what Eddie Murphy yep. went on to do. So don't let a judge you, like contest judge you, you know? Well, yeah, and the other thing with contests, you get like three minutes, five minutes, six minutes. Yeah. You know, and it's, it, it's tough for guys who've been doing it a long time. Like for me... I have a couple of stories that are six, seven, eight minutes long, yeah. you know? And so to kind of like, if I had a five or eight minute set I did all the time, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do great in that contest because, you know, uh, I, 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 my act is built for it, you know? But then, you know, someone tells you to do 20 minutes and you're great for eight and you suck for 12. Yeah. It's like, okay, you know? So, I, I mean, they, they have, they, they do serve a purpose, and I get it, but I'm I'm t 
too old. Yeah, I get you. I get you <laughs> seeing. I mean, you know, the people running the contest. They even if you lose, they get to see your act. I mean, I know comics have gotten work work out of a comedy contest even though they lost. So I mean, it, yeah. it gets you seen. Yeah. So all right, yeah, you're headlining. Yeah. You're doing good for yourself. Things are rocking and rolling for you. Boom! This pandemic hits. How's that affected your comedy? Uh, it's been tough. Um, you know, financially mostly. Uh, you know, yep. it, it, comedy makes up a good portion of my yearly income. So, um, um, you know, for it to be chopped and, you know, by 60, 70%, that's a kick. Yep. Um, but it was also, you know, part of it is just getting up on stage and, and having that release, that, that creative it, uh, release, uh, that connection, that, you know, um, that it's therapeutic, you know, um, and, and that was tough. I mean, last summer when things were going on outside, I had I had a great August. I had like I think I did fourteen shows. Did you do the parking lot um, shows where like they're sitting in cars and they beep the horns and stuff at you? Do you want to do it? <laughs> I did one of them, and uh, at, well, it was two shows in one night, and that was interesting because <laughs> you know it, it's like you tell a joke and you're waiting for the laugh. What's the response? And you're then? like, all right, where is it? And then people start beeping, and you're like, oh, oh all right. okay, that's weird. <laughs> now, have you done any of the online uh, shows, or is the online stuff not for you? I, I've done some, and I'll tell you what, from the first, I did one lot, uh, back in April, yeah. right after the shutdown. And it was, you know, it was miserable for me personally, because I, you know, I, I, ha I was on Spotlight, so it was just my face that yeah. I was looking at. So I'm, I'm telling my jokes to my face. And I'm not hearing any response, and it was, you know, I was like, I'll never do this again. Different but times. then I've done, you know, I have one actually uh, Thursday night. Oh, I'm doing okay. one, and, you know, you kind of figure it out, and you adapt, right. and um, I don't mind them now. It's I, better I, than I, nothing, right? Know. That's the alternative is nothing, so I guess it's better than nothing, right? Exactly, exactly. And, oh. um... You know, but things, you know, hopefully you're going to start opening up and, and, uh, and, you know, I did a show up in New Hampshire last weekend, um, which was great. And, and, you know, it, I, I have been able to use the time to, um, kind of, I don't want to say get creative because I've, I've always been creative, but kind of sit down and, you know, uh, I, I've actually did some writing and, uh, I've written a couple of, of things that, I've tried out now, and, right. and, and you know, they're... Uh, you got more time to express your creativity, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and I also, you know, through the inspiration of uh, Jimmy Dunn, I started writing another book, um, and, it's, uh, and it's all about hockey, and, um, and it's called I Ref Your Kids, Why Your Kid Is Not Going to the NHL. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, 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 it's a comedy book. Uh, and and so that kind of gave me the inspiration to start that. So that's in the very, you know, it's a fetus right now. Stages, it's it's yeah. in the very yeah. early stages. Okay. But you know, it, it's so it, 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 it like I'm someone that tries to accept things as they are, and uh, you know, I'm big in a big believer in the universe as it should be, and so. Well, this whole thing happened for whatever reason. And they say that comedy always survives, so there's going to be a point in time when we get back to things are normal again, we're able to do things we love to do again. I mean, when that time comes, what's what's in the future for Mark Riley? What do you, what do you want to accomplish before it's all said and done? What do you want to look back and say, I did that? What, 
What's in your future? Um, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to uh, um, do, you know, get some type of late night credit. Uh, you know, do kind of a, um, you know, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the late Jimmy night. Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Stephen yeah, Colbert. Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, one of those, you know, um, I'd like to get out to L.A. when it opens up and, and, and just kind of kick around maybe for a trip. Uh, See what happens. Get down yeah. to New York a little more. Get, you know, kind of just get some more exposure and, um, and, and see where this whole comedy journey takes me. Um, you know, and, and I wouldn't mind getting more into acting yeah. and, and doing some more of that. And, uh, you know, just, um, keep uh, doing what you love to keep do. Keep plugging away. Yeah, there you go. All right, well, we're getting on an hour here, and uh, I thank you for uh, calling in. So we'll leave it off on this. Uh, we got a lot of young comics that listen to the podcast, and I always say listen to the advice of the people ahead of you. Uh, you made it. You're headlining all the big shows. So if you had to pass on what you learned, what advice would you have for the young comics coming up? Uh, the biggest thing to do is uh, keep your time and <laughs> um, uh, be on time. Um, you know, I went through a stretch where I was kind of late for a few shows and it cost me. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, be professional, uh, you know, and, and, um, do it, do what you're supposed to do. Uh, and uh, listen and watch, you know, I, I always watched when I was opening, I always stayed and watched the whole show right. and I watched the headliner and I didn't watch one. I, I love laughing and I love comedy. So, you know, it, it, the entertainment piece was there, but I I wanted to watch how they moved, how they handled hecklers, how they, you know, uh, used pausing and facial expression and all the things that go into uh, being a great comic. And, you know, and, and talk to them. Like, you know, talk to, like, I remember hanging out with Gab. I'll hang out with, you know, um, uh, you know, anyone anyone and everyone and just talk to them and, and you know, be a sponge. And uh, I, I notice now a lot of times young guys will come and they'll open and then, you know, they leave to go do yeah. another guest set or do yeah. this or do that. And it's like, you know, stand after show and, and saying thank you to the people that are there. Yeah. It's a way of building an audience. Um, you know, and watching people do the craft that are really good at it helps you learn and become better sure. um you know so i mean that's that's what i did i you know i i watched i listened and i i was professional and you know and, and that's you know that's the way you, you and try to work for everyone i know some people have problems with this one or that one or whatever but i try to always position myself to hey listen i'll work for anyone right. and i'm not you know i'm not taking sides i'm not you know um i'll be loyal to the people that take care of me for sure but i try to work for everyone and anyone you just want um, a gig you just want to just get out there and do what you love to do you don't care who it's for right yeah and if someone offers you an opening spot and you think you're a middle act you know just go and be the best opening spot person you you that the person's ever seen Works you work. know, um, do your best every time you go on and don't get caught up in where you are on the show. Um, you know, because that was a mistake I made early on. I got caught up in, am I featuring, am I opening, am I, you know, yeah. just go and be the best comic you can be 
and be as funny as you can be. And, you know, people notice. You know, when other comics start saying, yeah, I don't like following that Riley kid. Well, guess what? The Riley kid starts headlining. You know, um, that's how that's how you do it, mm. you know? And, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's... Good advice, that's all right. Wrong. Can't go wrong there, man. That's how you move up right there. Be the, you know, whatever time you're given, you do the most with that time, no matter where it's at, and that'll move you up. Mark, thank you for calling in. I really do appreciate it. Dennis, thanks for having me, man. This was a blast. Uh, I, uh, I really appreciate it. Good luck in the future. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dennis. You too, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, comedian Mark Riley on the Boston comedy scene. And, uh, hey, you want to know what it takes to be a comedian? There's some great advice for you right there. Uh... If they give you one minute, you make the most of that minute. They gave you five minutes, you make the most of the five. They give you ten, and you just keep moving up. You make the best of every minute, and before you know it, you're a headliner doing 45. And uh, you know, uh, if they don't want to, if they don't want to follow you, then they better put you on after them. And that's how you, that's how you get the close shows right there. Be good at what you do. Don't think you know everything. Learn from the people ahead of you. Uh, stick around. That's a big one. That was a good one. Stick around, man. I, I hate the people who show up, do their set, and then take off and think they're going to get better. Like, you're not George Carlin, okay? You're a local comic, all right? You want to support the show? That's a big one. This is Funny Like a Clown podcast. We do comedy. We're learning the ins and the outs, uh, what it takes to make it in the business, and we got some of the biggest names in the business coming on here. Um, till next week, I'm Dennis Worth. Keep laughing. Make somebody laugh. Laughter is the best medicine. And uh, tell your friends to tune in the podcast, and they'll laugh too. Good night. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.